Hey, uh, we're uh, so thankful you're here. Uh, my name is James. This is Paul. And um, we are honored. We're privileged to be pastoring at Sunrise Shepherding. Mm. And uh, you're the body of Christ. And we just count it a privilege uh, to be paid to do this. It's kind of crazy. Uh, we get paid to talk. We're yeah. going to talk for a while. And we don't want you just to listen, though. We want you to experience. Mm. We, we don't want you just to take in words. We want you to have a moment today where, you know, like those early uh, mm. disciples on that road to Emmaus, where didn't our hearts burn within us? Mm. Because we're going to be talking about vision. And for some people, we're like, oh, God, I don't want to come to talk about vision. Where's the Bible? Well, it is the Bible. It's Amen. God's vision of reaching us and knowing us. God desires a relationship with us. And that comes through Jesus Christ. Mm. And um, I started pastoring at Sunrise in 94, uh, 29 and a half years ago. And in fact, even before that, I just fell in love with Jesus. I was in college, a senior, started reading the Gospels, and then in ministry, and both Paul and I were youth pastors. I think youth yep. pastors make the best senior pastors, yep. and we just pastor older people. How about that? Yeah. And, uh, we still want to play dodgeball. That's true. That's true. Actually, back in the dining hall, who knows? We could do that. It's where the children are. Um, and and what, what I discovered along the way was Jesus's message was life transformation through him. He said, I've come to give life in all its fullness. And I, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Mm. And, and I wanted above all things for young people to experience that life because that's what God did for me mm. when I was 15 years old. But along the way, I not only discovered the message of Jesus, and, and that's, it's, it's critical, right? You know, that's mm. no question. But I discovered a method, mm. a method that Jesus used to make disciples because his great command for all of us was to make disciples, not to go to church, not to hang out in, in groups, but to make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching. And so as I really wanted to figure out what that meant, I discovered what I would call Jesus's discipleship pathway. And it started with, and I won't bore you with this, but he invited some people to come and see, come and check it out, then come and follow and become disciples to come and die, to take up the cross, and then to go and make. And he transferred it to them. Now, I don't know about your church experience. My church experience most often is about driving into a parking lot, coming into a building, or going into someone's home for small group, having a wonderful spiritual time and leaving. But that's not what Jesus called us to be about. He called us to something greater than that. He invited us on a journey. And that's what was so beautiful about Jesus was not just the great things he said, but he always met people at their level of spiritual interest and invited them on a journey. And so that's what we started doing at Sunrise. Now, at the youth ministry days, I called it winning, building, equipping, and multiplying. And, and then I became senior pastor. And the, the, the wonderful deacons, I loved them. They were at the time. And one of my best friends, Mark, he said, you can't use those words. That's for youth. And I'm like, oh, man, what am I going to do? So I went away. And we started doing this stuff. And I said, I've got words. Connect, grow, serve, lead. And he's like, that's awesome. I fooled him. To this day, he doesn't know. And Mark, if you're watching from Yuma, Arizona, <laughs> now you know the truth. But the fact is, is that we're just doing what Jesus did, mm. but we're wrapping it around our modern culture yeah. and the way we do things today. Mm. And um, I, I say with all my heart, I'm so thankful that I've been able to pastor all these years. I'm still, made, I'm still alive, you know, made it uh, through all the humps and bumps and everything. Uh, but more than that, I've been able to pass that baton to Paul, and he's come as our senior pastor. He's my pastor. Mm. And I'm really thankful that God continues Sunrise Church on a journey of that same thing. And so yeah. Paul's been here 
20 months. 20 months. Yeah. So which is pretty almost, I guess, like almost to the day, 20 months. And, you know, when I first got here, we talked about right when we, I stepped in, I just wanted to learn. I wanted to have a, a listening heart. I don't know if you remember that 20 months ago, we looked at Solomon and his wisdom and he was described as having a listening heart. And so many, many of you, hundreds of you actually participated in a spiritual health survey and thank you again for doing that. I know that took time. I think I said from the stage, it's only going to take you 15, 20 minutes, right? Never trust a pastor when he quotes you time, like ever, right? Because it took like, some people were like, it took me like 40 minutes, Paul, to walk through that. But you walked through that and we gained so much information about where you felt the health of our church was at. And even more personally, where, where were you on your spiritual journey? And so we took all of that information as a staff, we prayed about it, we discussed it, we kind of brought it uh, to each other in conversation over and over and over again. And what we realized is we kind of let those things kind of percolate in, in our minds and prayerfully think through those things. We realized as a staff that we believe God was calling us to a new vision. But it was a new vision really built on our old vision. So it wasn't as much a replacement as it was like an update. We saw in our old vision some things we wanted to amplify, like we wanted to carry these things into the new season that God was calling us into. We also saw that we wanted to add some things because culture is changing around us. The community that God has entrusted us to reach, that's changing, so we need some new things. But also we realized the present spiritual needs in our church were different, as you expressed them in that survey. So we needed some new things. So what you're going to see even today, kind of a microcosm of that, and what you've seen over the last 20 months, what you're going to continue to see, is there are a lot of things that are familiar. You could say, oh yeah, that's us. That's Sunrise. That's what we do. And there are some things you're like, well, yeah, that's familiar, but that over there, that's new. And so this season is, is, is like that. It's a season of familiarity, but also a season of, of new things as well. And there are two big principles we wanted to keep in the vision. And that was kind of how we walk through this pathway. And if you look at the pathway, and it was, do you remember it? Connect, grow, and there you go. You are gold star students. You get a free hoodie at the, no, I'm just kidding. You don't. You can't use that coupon. Uh, but uh, that process, right, we wanted to continue a discipleship process that was intentional about moving people wherever they were on their spiritual journey. And what we really wanted to encapsulate and really amplify was two core principles that came from the beginning of the journey and really the end of the journey. So our new discipleship pathway actually looks like this. It's got a couple more stops on the way. It's a little more detailed, if you will. But I want to just have you focus on that first part and that second part, kind of the beginning and the end, the curious to commission. And that ending is really, really important to us. Yeah, now, the reason I get excited about this is my life now is transitioned. I'm executive director of Church Venture Northwest. We have 250 conservative Baptist churches in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Alaska. And I get to spend most of my time with pastors and elders. In fact, yesterday I was in Spokane and I had a couple hours with them and, and I just, it was great. I loved it. It was a church many, many ways like Sunrise back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I told them our vision. I spent an hour just talking about what God did here. One of the key things I communicated was this, showing up to church is not 
the vision. It's not the end, right? Um, Jesus loved crowds. You know that. He fed the crowds. He taught the crowds. He had compassion on the crowds. It's all over the Gospels. But he made disciples. He wasn't interested in just getting a big crowd. And, and now, what I'm going to say, I don't mean to be condemning at all, but there are a lot of churches, um, and, and you could attest to this, yeah. that the goal is bigger attendance on Sunday. And that, that's, that's okay, but that's not the end. Mm. Um, I've had the chance to climb a, a number of mountains, and um, I'll tell you what, it's hard. It's hard work. Some have been one day, some have been two days, one was four days. And there is always this principle called the false summit. And the false summit is when, <laughs> when, when you think you've arrived. Yeah. Right? I mean, your yeah. eye sees it, and you're up there, and you're like, it's just going to be a few more minutes. Uh, last mountain I climbed was the South Sister with my family. I, I, drove, I drove my wife up there, and uh, the boys, and, and I kept saying, okay, it looks like we're there, but we're not, so don't get discouraged. A false summit is the belief that you've reached it when you're not, and, and coming to church is a false summit. Not, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm so glad you're here. Paul and I love, we would love yeah. to have thousands of people here yeah. because out of that crowd, like Jesus did, we would see more and more disciples. But Jesus never invited us to just sit and come and learn. Yeah. He invited us to something even greater than that. So you see in the very middle there, you see the idea of community. And community is big for us. Community is important for it. You're going to hear us talk about community all the time here at the church. But what James says, I think, was so good. In fact, this is the big idea for our message today. Is, so if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea is this. Community is a false summit. Now, you hear that and you might immediately recoil like, wait, hold on. False and community? I'm not saying that community is false spirituality. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a falsehood. What I'm saying is it's a false summit. It is part of your journey, right? When you climb the mountain, the false summit is a part of the journey, it's just not the end of the journey. And what we've realized, it's funny because, you know, James and I just read um, four books together through the church revitalization uh, kind of program certificate that we walked through. And I'll tell you, man, if I could summarize all four books, it would be this. Churches start to hurt when community becomes the summit. When it's just, we bring you in, it's great, we get around each other, we start to fellowship, and that's good, but that starts to sour when we forget about being commissioned, about being sent out into the world to lead other people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. When we, when we stop in the middle, we miss the summit. We have that sense of maturity, not perfection, but a sense of maturity. So if we stop in the middle, we not only hurt ourselves, but that's truly what is hurting so many churches. So here's what we want to do. We want to walk through Jesus' ministry discipleship pathway. Now, we're not going to hit every point, right? Because you actually have to eat lunch today. Uh, but I want to show you really the beginning and the end. So I want you to think, as we talked about that discipleship pathway, the curious and the commission. Because I want to show you how Jesus is moving us on a journey. And he wants us to start here, and he sets the stage super well, and he also sends us out. So let's start in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, this is where we're going to see Jesus going to set the stage for ministry. All right, so I'm going to read through this. We're going to start with verse 35. And here's what I want you to see, and I think you're going to see it in the passage I cover. James is going to cover another passage in this, kind of as Jesus is bringing his followers, is Jesus is hospitable to curiosity. People are seeking, God is drawing them, and Jesus welcomes that curiosity. So I want you to think of that as we're walking through this text together. So let's start in verse 
35 of John chapter 1. It says, The next day, again, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, this is John's role. John knew this was his calling. His parents knew that this was his calling. Before John was born, his parents were told, your son will be a forerunner, kind of the setup guy, the comedian who comes on stage first to warm up the crowd before the main line, right? He's the setup band. He's going to be the guy who points people to God's Old Testament hero. We call that person Messiah. He would be the forerunner of the Messiah. So this is what he's doing. He sees Jesus and he's like, guys, that's the guy. That's the guy I've been talking about. I told you God was coming. There he is. There is the Lamb of God. And what happens is John's disciples say, wait a second. We got to check this guy out. Look at verse 37. So two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So now they're kind of tailing Jesus. They're behind him. You know, he turns right, they turn right. And so they're not interacting yet with Jesus. They're kind of just walking behind him. Jesus turns around and he engages him. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them and he said, why are you following me? Stop tailgating me. Just making sure you're still reading along with me. Okay. <laughs> Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? So good. There's so, so much good. depth into that question. What are you looking mm. for? You know, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I would ask you that question too. Well, what are you looking for? Maybe... Maybe church is your New Year's resolution. You're like, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to get things lined up in my life. I'd, I'd ask you to ponder that question. Like, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? Well, these guys make it very clear. John's disciples make it very clear. It says, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So clearly, what do they want? We, we want a teacher. John's been teaching us. That's been great. But then he said, you're the Lamb of God. He told us that you're Messiah. So we want to hang out with you. And Jesus welcomes that curiosity. Verse 39, and he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, that to us doesn't make sense. Like 10th hour, what does that mean? Does it mean 10 o'clock at night? It means 10 hours after the sunrise. So this is probably about 4 o'clock. So that means these guys hung out with Jesus Christ from four o'clock, so like before dinner, all the way to the end of the night. Now, we don't know what they said. We don't know what they talked about. We don't. All we know is Jesus was hospitable to their curiosity. And whatever Jesus said in that conversation was wonderfully transformational. Because look at how Andrew responds afterward. One of the disciples that came along, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we've found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, what happened? In a several hours, Andrew was convinced, you're the dude. We've been waiting hundreds of years, even thousands of years for God's hero to come. You're the guy. You are the guy. And then Andrew said, well, how am I going to let this message get out? He doesn't open up the Bible and go through all the prophecies of Messiah and tell them all about Jesus. What does he do? He introduces him to Jesus. He just takes Peter and says, you got to meet this guy. And the point I want us to see there is Andrew experienced Jesus' hospitality to his curiosity. And I think he knew that his brother would experience the same thing. He just brought him 
to Jesus. What a wonderful principle we can have with all of our friends. Just bring them to Jesus. Stop trying to be impressive to them. Right? Stop trying to say, well, you know, I've, I've got everything figured out. I've got everything dialed in. My life is perfect. Clearly, you're intrigued about how you can be as good as me. I don't want to follow that, right? But if I can bring you to Jesus, I think that's who you'll be impressed with. And he was. Now, we're going to see another follower. It's not as easy and smooth of a transition. Because in the next section, we're going to have curiosity, but also hesitation mixed together. And Jesus is going to be hospitable to that kind of mixed response as well. And I love what you said there, Paul, because our job is to bring them to Jesus. Yeah. You know, I love, I love sitting with people that have questions and mm. I love engaging people. I'm on Facebook with a gal and who's got, her heart is hurt and there's all kinds of things. And, and if, I, if we just focus on Jesus, I know we want to have answers for everything. We want to yeah. clarify this. And, and unfortunately, as a church, and I make a big seed church, maybe evangelical church in America, mm. we've gotten off course and we try to answer other questions. But what, what we should be doing is just saying, okay, I don't know everything, but I know this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And let's bring him there. Even though that's a challenge, okay? Mm. So let's jump into that next part, just continuing on in verses 43 to 51. Jesus' followers were, were very hospitable to that curiosity. This is what we read. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So that's up in the north, and it's a trek. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida up in the Galilee, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So there's a lot of cultural context going on there. They were looking for uh, the prophet. Moses had said, one is going to come like me. And God had talked about it. David, there was going to be David's son. So there was this messianic fever. People were looking for the Messiah. But in many ways, they had their own terms. They had their own conditions. They had their own qualifiers for who and what the Messiah would be. And all of a sudden, uh, there's some confusion here or there's some challenge to how could it be Jesus? It says, we've, you know, we found him. Nathaniel said, can anything good at, come out of Nazareth? So immediately he throws up a red flag. How, wait a minute. The Messiah, we all know this, isn't coming from Nazareth. That's not in God's plan, right? And so he throws up an objection. Now, if you go on, it says, uh, you know, really clearly his come and see. Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw, I saw you. I love this. Here's, um, we try to do God's work for him sometimes. Wow. But let Jesus do his own work. Jesus spoke into this guy at his moment of doubt, his curiosity, his confusion, his questioning, and he answered it. I mean, I'm quick to sit down with people, and I, I, I'm not an intellectual, but I love the intellectual arguments and the conversations. I've led a lot of people to Jesus through the Lee Strobel's and Josh McDowell books and stuff, and those, and those are great. I don't disrespect any of that. But sometimes we try to answer the questions that only Jesus can answer. Let's bring them to Jesus and let Jesus deal with that. And that's exactly what he does. Because this guy has some theological reasons why he can't be there. Some, some things that, does, that don't line up. And that's still a safe place for Jesus to work, friends. So he goes on. He says, how do you know me? I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is, this is such a beautiful passage for so many reasons, but here you have just, a, we'll call it kind of like every day in the life of Jesus. He's, he's inviting somebody else to follow him. I hope, and I'm going to say this, and I can't say it's true for me, but I hope every day we're, we're thinking about the lost people all around us. I hope our eyes are attuned to the needs of people around us, the questions people have, the curiosity they have about life, because we can bring Jesus right in the midst. And I, I don't know, I failed so many times on that one. But when we open our eyes, we invite people on a journey. This is what Jesus is doing. He's, in, he's recruiting a new follower, as it were. He's bringing someone on the journey. And, and like Jesus' conversation with Andrew, we don't really know all the details. We, I'd love to peer in with a little microscope and dig in between the letters and know everything. But we know enough to say this. Jesus met him where he was. And, and, and Jesus will do that for you, wherever you are today. I mean, you, you may be here, like Paul said, this is like your New Year's resolution, and you made it, okay? And that's good. Jesus will meet you where you are. You have hurts. You have challenges. Jesus will meet you where you are. You have some red flags. You have some conditions that God did not meet in your life, and you're sorely disappointed with God. Now, welcome to the family, but here's the reality. Jesus will meet you where you are. I mean, you can be tuning in from anywhere around the world. It's not an accident. Jesus will meet you where you are, and he will dig deep into that challenge you have, that question you have, that hurt you have, that big opposition you have, and he will walk you along the path. Because for these guys, it was about Old Testament prophecy coming true. That's not what we're digging into, right? right. I've never been anybody coffee shop that says, let's talk about the Old Testament. They don't really kind of talk about that. <laughs> but here's the deal. Jesus wasn't offended and Philip wasn't offended or impatient with Nathaniel's hesitations. He was hospitable to them. He invited them on a journey. And um, I, I love some of the memories in my life. And I often tell people some of these stories. Uh, you know, as we encounter Jesus, one day we will be convinced he's worth following. And um, I'll, <clears throat> some of my most favorite stories are like four-year stories. So I, I kind of have an advantage and it's my job, you know, and it's Paul's job. And, and we kind of sit up here and talk and everything, but we don't know what's going on out there. But every once in a while, in one of these chairs, God's doing a really amazing work that they're not even saved yet. They, they don't even belong in church. They're not even a church person. And I remember a number of those. I was talking to a young guy um, back and we had an information station over there. And he goes, well, I'm an atheist. I go, man, I love atheists. In fact, God loves atheists. And he just stands there. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, you know, the God you don't believe in, he loves you. And we started a friendship and a conversation, and I was able to share the gospel with him. Uh, not, not long before that, uh, this, this middle-aged guy came up to me and said, hey, uh, you ever meet people for coffee? And I'm like, yeah, I love having coffee, but, but I can't meet with everybody, you know what I mean? And I'm like, tell me your story. He goes, well, I'm an atheist, but I think I need to receive Jesus into my heart. I'm like, hmm, yeah, I have time for you. Let's have coffee. <laughs> and, and it was a process. It was months and, and three or four months of just patiently hearing a story and the hurts and the struggles and the objections and the pains and apologizing for the church. You know, we do that sometimes or for things. And, but pointing people to Jesus, and I'll never forget that one, when I sat there in a Starbucks and he received Christ and I got to disciple him. We have to be that church, friends, because that's, that's our savior. And those are the early followers of Jesus. That no matter, you know, the, the curiosity or the objection they have, we're, we're gonna meet them there because that's where God We'll meet them. And we'll see atheists turn into missionaries. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. You know, it's something that 
I think is re- really hits home for me in that I came to church, I think, with an objection stronger than Nathaniel's. Like, who comes from Nazareth? That's good, right? Like, I didn't have an objection uh, uh, like that, but I had some hurt, some deep hurt, and I was angry at God and went to church, which I know sounds like, that's weird. Like, what, if you're angry at somebody, why do you go to their house? I don't know. To egg their house? I, like, maybe... But I did, I had so many questions and I was so hurt and I found a church. It wasn't the flashiest church, it was a small church. Um, they didn't have all the bells and whistles and all the cool things and cameras and lights and they had stained glass. Uh, and and I, I think I broke one of those and I went there actually to preach not that long ago and it's still broken. So Sunrise Church is collecting up a fund to pay for that stained glass. Uh, but no, and I, this means a lot to me because for months, they were just patient with me. The kid who was saying the wrong things, right, using the wrong words, corrupting all the other youth, <laughs> they were just patient with my curiosity. And I, I still remember a moment, one of the leaders uh, telling me, hey, Paul, if you never believe what I believe, I'm still going to love you. And that just like unlocked something. I was like, okay, well, now I'm super curious at what you believe. Being hospitable to curiosity has been a core value of this church, and it will continue to be a core value of this church. We will be a safe place for your hesitations, for your doubts, for your fears, and your apprehensions. We are not offended by those. We're not impatient with those. We welcome those, and we believe this book, over time, will show you how you can unpack those things. Well, Jesus set the stage really well. Hospitable to curiosity transform these guys' lives. So let's fast forward. They do ministry with Jesus. Things are going well. They have these high moments. Uh, They travel throughout all first century Palestine with Jesus. They see him do miracles. They see him give profound teaching. They get to do ministry with Jesus. They also have some valley moments. They miss some of Jesus' hard sayings. Uh, They hurt each other's feelings, which happens when you get a bunch of guys together. Um, And unfortunately, at the very end of Jesus' public ministry, all of these guys abandon Jesus. And the last task he gave them before he was crucified, they failed. So really, you kind of see the arc of the Gospels is kind of exciting. They're getting it. Things are starting to click. There's some struggles. And at the very apex of what should have been a triumphal moment for them was a failure for them. Now, Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. And he comes back to the disciples. And this is where he gets to that end point of our discipleship pathway. He moves them from curious and he's going to move them all the way to commissioned. Let me show you this. This is in John chapter 20. So we're in John 1, now we're in John 20. John chapter 20, and we're going to start with verse 26. No, we're not. Verse 19. My man, back in the booth, killing it. Love it. Can we give a round of applause for just all the people who do the back of the booth stuff? <laughs> He's like, don't do that. Why'd you do this to me? You're doing great. I told him today might be a difficult Sunday. We're jumping around a little bit. And he's like, Paul, I got this. No problem. All right. So, so thank you for saving me. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples being locked where the, or sorry, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Why are they afraid of the Jews? Because the Jews just pressured the Romans to kill Jesus. And they've been following Jesus. So clearly, they're apprehensive about their safety. Are we going to be okay? And we got to see the kind of emotional and psychological state. 
they're afraid of the Jews and they just let down their leader who led them for three years. For three years, Jesus led them. And the last thing they did was fail him at his moment of need. They betrayed him. They abandoned him. So you got to feel like they have this sense of just regret and shame. And Jesus steps in and look at the first words. He says to them, peace be with you. What Jesus is saying there is, I'm not going to abandon you. You abandon me. I'm not going to abandon you. Have peace. You don't need to fear them. And you don't need to be filled with shame because of what you did to me. Now, that, those are monumental words right there. I mean, that would just, I feel like the, you could hear a pin drop in that room. Jesus takes it even further than that. Look, what, look at the next thing that Jesus says. So peace with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, his wounds. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus, everything you said came true. You rose again from the grave. So that has been unlocked for them. I still think in the back of their minds, they must be thinking, Jesus, you won, but we're still losers. Like you won, you did what you said you're going to do, but we couldn't do what you asked us to do. So they're still not convinced that they're on the winning side, I think. Or at least they don't know what their part is in all of that. Look at the next verse. Jesus addresses that. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins are, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus says, hey, we're on good terms. Don't worry about the Jews. Don't worry about us. In fact, here's what we're doing. I want you to imitate me. Just as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. What does that mean? How was Jesus sent? The Father sent the Son fashioned for him a body. He took on flesh. We call that the incarnation. He took on flesh. He ministered by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he proclaimed to the crowds that forgiveness of sins could happen through his death and resurrection. And now Jesus is saying, and here's the baton. Now you take it. Do you feel the sense of like the gap, like the bar? I don't know if you've ever taken over for somebody or transitioned leadership or anything like that, right? But I know, right? I've been here for 20 months, but there are still feelings of me, of apprehension, of James has led the church so well for, for so long, has done a great job, built something really, really good, right? By God's hand, of course. And now that baton passes to me. And it, internally, you think as a leader, okay, what's the gap, right? I, I need to step up. I need to fill the shoes, right? That kind of dynamic. You think of that kind of tension. What's the drop off? What's the gap between the Son of God and his followers, Okay, that one's big. Like, it's hard to do what James does, but it's a little easier than doing what the Messiah did. But this is what Jesus Christ says to his disciples. I know you failed me, but I'm calling, I'm enlisting you to, in, to imitate me now. You take on flesh. You empathize with those around you who are far away from the Father. You take on flesh for them. You know the hurts that they have, the hangups that they have, the apprehensions that they have. 
You communicate to him a way that's understandable. And then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you. Because the only way you're going to fulfill this monumental mission is by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give that to you. And then he says, right, look at this statement. I mean, this is a powerful statement. Slightly confusing when we first read it, but let me just unpack it for a moment because I think you'll see it's actually not that hard to understand. That last verse he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld for them. Now, we shouldn't read this as Jesus is now saying, hey, by your discretion alone, you could pronounce forgiveness or not forgiveness. That it's in you, you have that power. When we zoom out from the scriptures, we look at the context of the whole New Testament, the Gospels, all the uh, letters of Jesus' early followers. When we look at that, we see forgiveness of sins is always connected with belief in Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. So what Jesus is saying here is kind of shorthand saying, when you proclaim the gospel, the good news of my death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, when you proclaim that and say, if you believe in this, then we could say your sins are forgiven. That's what he's talking about here. If you don't believe in that, then we could say your sins aren't forgiven. So this is a pronouncement from the disciples that they could say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and your sins aren't forgiven unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's happening here. This sending is exactly where God sees you as a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants to bring you from curious where he's hospitable, to your apprehensions, to wherever you are. We want to set the stage of being hospitable church to curiosity. He wants to move you into community, yes, but he doesn't leave you there. He doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to bring you all the way through to this moment right here. And this has been a core of our church. This, isn't, this is something you're like, yeah, I'm familiar with that. That's who we are. Well, we want to amplify that in this new season. We want to be ascending church. Dirty little secret of pastoral ministry huh. is that we like crowds, right? I mean, yep. it, we're glad you're here. If this were an empty room, that'd yeah. be kind of weird, right? Yeah, that's I true. remember the COVID days preaching to a red light. I didn't like it, okay? Yeah. So thank you for being here. Um, but one of the dangers of leadership ministry mm. in the church is that we get excited about that. In fact, more excited about that than actually the ministry of Jesus, because Jesus Again, he loved the crowds. He fed, he taught, he, he had compassion on them. But um, they kind of, you know, they turned away at times, right? Yeah. They were fickle. Yeah. And, um, and we, we understand that. And we know people go through seasons and all that. But what he did was make disciples. You can't disciple a crowd. And so thank you for being here. But this is not the end. It's a false summit, right? Mm -hmm. Our vision, our goal is the commissioning part where you're going out and doing this. You're making disciples. One of my favorite mountain climbs, the biggest one I've ever done, it was four days up and two days down with John Matlock. John and Kathy were here last Sunday, by the way. Mm -hmm. and, um, and here's the cool thing. I had guides. John and I had guides. We hired guides uh, there in Kenya to take us up a mountain. Those guides had done it. They could do it in a heartbeat. They were taking old white guys, you know? <laughs> and um, we paid them to be our guides because they had done the journey. They did it because their job now was to take others up. They were commissioned, they were licensed so that they could grab people and take them along the journey. And we only made it up to that summit because they were there with us. Mm. And we got a photo with them at the top, it's a sign. Mm. Now see, that's what we're talking about. We are not, 
We're not overly impressed with the seating capacity of a church. Amen. We're utterly impressed by the sending capacity of the church. Mm -hmm. Again, we're not, we want to have comfortable seats. We like that, right? Yeah. Okay, that's, that's fine. Your seats we want, are you want, yeah, a lot more comfortable ours. We want you to come in. We want you to grab your friends. We want to see this next year. Um, we want to see more attendance on the weekend. But hear my heart, not so that that makes mm. Paul or James or, or Jacob, like, you know, or Daniel big headed, not even close, so that there are more people to hear the message. But this is not the end. Not a small group, the community is not the end. The, the commission that you now go out, it won't look like us. Yeah. You know, we're not yes. going to commission all of you as pastors, but you're going to do something. You might be a small group leader. You might be a neighborhood person. You might just be one-on-one. -on -one. Your personality, your style, the way God wired you, we want to equip you in that so that you go out and you do this, that you're now the guide mm. that's bringing someone else back along the journey. That's the ultimate win for us, right? Amen. 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 Thanks for showing up. Please show up next week. Okay, don't get us wrong. <laughs> the but bad end of this message is <laughs> nobody here next week. No. They told us. <laughs> Get out into the community. We're not coming. And if you're still watching because you haven't come back since COVID, please come back in the room. <laughs> but, but hear my heart. Thank you. Love you. We love you. But what we love is the mission of Jesus, and that is to commission you to go out and do the same exact thing. Mm. That's why we're here. Mm. Is, that, is that good? Yeah. Right. Dirty little secret. I, All right. I have to tell you, man, I, for the last couple days, I've just been thinking about this idea of, of community being a false summit. And again, it's part of the journey, right? You see it's right there in the middle. You see from curious to there, there's all these steps and they're all relational, all intentional. We call them baby steps. So there's a lot of more dots on the, on the pathway. Um, and then getting to that commission point, that's where we want everybody to go. This isn't for a select few. This is for every follower of Jesus. Jesus said, right, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a, it's a, it's a promise of Jesus to make you a fisher of men, to commission you. It's his promise. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's already sending you. You don't have to wait to be sent. He's already sending you. Here's the, here's the gap. Do you see it? Do you see that you're sent? Do you see that you are already sent? You're sent to your family, to your neighborhood, to your job. Your address is not an accident. Your career is not by chance. The sovereign hand of God has sent you. Imagine, imagine if you saw this. Imagine if every moment you saw the hand of God placing you in that space. Why? Because there are thousands of spiritual orphans that are out there, that are his orphans, that he has sent you to love and to serve. Imagine a church where every follower of Jesus Christ saw themselves as sent. I'm not here by accident. You walk out those rooms, and don't clap yet, because I'm just gonna still go and you can clap in a moment, right? Because I'm getting riled up. Like you leave, right? You get out of this building, you go to Panera. Thank you for sponsoring this video. No, I'm just kidding. Right, you go to Panera, you go to wherever, and you're, you say to yourself, this is not an accident. The divine hand of God is in this moment right now. You would see every conversation and every interaction is sacred. And that doesn't mean that every sentence you would end with like, amen, oh. no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. You would see that every conversation was intended to get people one step closer to Jesus. Imagine if you did that. All right, let's expand this out. This really, this really hit my heart just because of a friend. Imagine if God 
had a, had a surgeon right, that he wanted to, to reach, medical doctor he wanted to reach. And he's like, I, I want to show God, who am I going to send? Now, God permit, now hear me out. God permits things that do not please him for a purpose. You're going to know that part, okay? So I'm going to say something that's going to cause a little bit of tension, but that's fine. Think of that principle. God permits things that do not please him for a purpose. He uses terrible things that don't make him happy to turn into good things and make him very happy. Imagine if God wanted to reach a medical doctor, and he said, I'm going to send one of my servants there. My guy right here has cancer. I'm going to send him to this doctor. He's going to get that diagnosis, and he's going to watch my son suffer well. And that will be persuasive to him about the eternal reality we all face. This is the persuasive nature of witness in, in 1 Peter. We suffer, but we give an account for the hope that we have inside. That means your cancer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is a sending moment. All your hurt is a sending moment. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, I want you to know, guys, what's happened to me is for the advancement of the gospel. What are you saying? I'm in prison. How many times you get falsely accused, sent into prison, right? Under house arrest, you're like, this is going to advance the gospel. But when you believe that you are always sent, that nothing is an accident, that nothing is by chance, you look at the world totally different. Somebody hits you from behind, bam, oh, I got whiplash now. You don't get out of your car and just start screaming at them. You say to yourself, boom, oh, this happened, but this is not outside of God's control. What if that person is far away from Jesus? And what if I'm the one who's going to reach them, right? You see, if, if our vision changes, what would that look like if you saw yourself as sent every moment, every space, intentionally, intentionally put there by God to bring everybody in that room one step closer to Jesus. Not fast forward through the whole journey. Don't think that. But you leave this room, and if you saw yourself as sent, every space you would say to yourself, how can I get these people one step closer? One step closer to Jesus. That's the mission. That's the vision. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Christ, I thank you that you were sent to us and I, man, I am overwhelmed, Christ, that you send us. But if I'm real, like, I'm frightened because I see what happened to you when the Father sent you. Yeah, you were popular. You got applause sometimes, but you were also met with antagonism, with threats, with suffering, with hurt, and with pain. Is that what my sending looks like too? It could. Give me the perspective of Paul. I want you to know, dear brothers, what has happened to me is for the advancement of the gospel. I don't have that. I just confess that, Lord. I don't have that, and I want to have that. I want every day of my life for me to think, how am I sent in this moment? My address is no accident. Where my kids go to school, the kids that I have, the family that I have, it's not an accident. Father, help me to see myself as sent. And oh, Father, would you give us a church of people who see themselves as sent. They wouldn't stop at that false summit of community. I pray they get into community. But I pray they keep going on the journey and keep stepping 
forward in the journey with you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.